It seems like daily that I either have a conversation or I read something that is reminding me of the reality or I read something that comes from somebody uh, that I know. But it just it seems like it's almost a daily occurrence that someone is bringing up the reality that it is really, really hard to live family life. It's hard to raise kids. It is hard to be married. It is hard to be single. Especially if you wish you were married and aren't yet and are in this place of waiting on that. This idea of being family and figuring out how this works is an incredibly difficult journey that so many people are on. And the stories about it everywhere and the books are all over the bookshelves. And there's so much work out there that's happening. And I think it's even harder not just to try and figure out how to be family, but how to, how to try and be a faithful family. How do we be a family that is following Jesus? How do we be a family that is showing our faith to others? And even as difficult as this is, I think it's quite possible that this is the most significant call that has actually been placed upon us as a church. You see, gathering together weekly in a building to worship like we do is not actually the great big thing that Jesus was calling us to be a part of when we were called to be disciples. doesn't mean there's something wrong with this. We actually think there's something really important about this, which is why we continue to do it and invest time and resources into pulling this off. But this is not actually what Jesus had in mind when Jesus was dreaming up what it looked like for the church to move forward. The, the big goal that Jesus had, the big dream that Jesus had was the idea that people would choose to be disciples and that in choosing to do so that they would walk forward and live faithful lives. That women and men would live in Christ-like ways in their home. That women and men would live in Christ-like ways at work and at school and in all of our other community interactions. This, this gathering together thing is a significant piece of what it means for us to be the church. But impacting the world when we are not gathered together is just as significant and perhaps maybe even more significant. But definitely just as significant. The church is always both. We are gathered and we are scattered We are family and we are a people on mission. We come together and we go out. We take care of one another and we impact the world. We must be doing both all the time. And it seems right to me that in our pursuit of doing so, in our pursuit of trying to live this out, that this work of being the gathered and the scattered church should begin at home. That as Christ followers, you and I should be people who are striving to live the gospel in our homes. Striving to love our spouse and our kids, our parents, our siblings in ways that brings honor to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's sometimes hard to love well at home. It is hard to always love the way that I know I'm supposed to love other people at home. I spend more time there than I do in other places. They get this this leftover amount of energy that happens when I come home. They see me more unfiltered than anyone else does at any time. And sometimes that is not very loving. Stop nodding your head. Um, 
hard to love well at home. If you're a kid trying to figure out how to love mom and dad, it's hard to love well at home. If you're a child with siblings, it's hard to know how to love them well, sometimes ever. (laughs) But it is a huge piece of what we have been called to do as the church as we move forward is that we are a people striving to love well in our homes. And because we're representing the gathered and the scattered, it's also true that as homes, as households, we then should be going out. We should be these little missional outposts that are happening from our houses. We should be these these missional people that are gathering together, these outposts, these missional communities of, of working as we are literally the gathered and the scattered from our homes. So we strive to love one another. Inside the walls of our homes and then go out and influence our neighborhoods and our workplaces, our schools and the people that we interact with at the grocery store. We are gospel bearers, not just out of this building, not just because we're the church, not just because we might have a T-shirt that says Valley Baptist Church on it, but because I might have a T-shirt that says Moreau on the back of it. And I understand that being a missional family means that when I'm at the pool or at the park or at a community association meeting that I am to be Gospel bearers, the church, people who are loving others at those places. So what does it mean for us to be church at home? And that's the series we're going to walk into. For the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the idea of being church at home. And we're not going to talk about it in fullness. There's a multitude of things we could talk about that we won't even talk about or move into or explore. But that's going to be the conversation that we're going to have. And before we go there, I want to make sure that you understand something really, really clearly as we start. I am making no claim that I am somehow an expert at this. None at all. I hope you very rarely feel like I stand up here and and show myself to be an expert at this whole figuring out faith thing. I make as many or more mistakes than any of you make. I am on the same journey that you are on. And in this series especially, my intent, my hope, my desire is to bring the conversation to the surface. So that we can believe that here, among these people, as a church, as Valley, this is a place that we are safe and welcome to talk about the struggles of family. To talk about the difficulties of what it means for us to do that and to talk about the ways in which we hope to get better at it. So today I want to start with the topic that I have the least amount of experience at. Let's talk about being mom. Right? Do I have to talk about this at all? I have no idea. But let's talk about being mom. Second Timothy chapter 1, the passage that we looked at, this letter that comes from Paul. There's this odd, seemingly unimportant mention of two women. It seems like this unnecessary thing that it get thrown in. What does it matter? What's the point? What's happening in the mention of this? Why does this matter? And for many of us, and even even me, so very often I've read right over this as, oh, great, now I know the name of his mom and his grandma, but I don't know what that has to do with anything, so I just keep going. Because it's really not the focal point of the passage. And yet, I believe Paul was doing something incredibly significant by not overlooking the mention of these two women by name. I believe that Paul wanted to make sure that the legacy that they had left was highlighted in the life of the church. 
I believe that Paul wanted to make sure that they received the credit that they were due for due for the man that Timothy had become and was becoming. They held some responsibility in this, and Paul wanted to speak to that legacy as he celebrated Timothy's faithfulness. In verse 5, which is on the screen, it says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. The faith that existed in Timothy, and we see Timothy celebrated as a a great partner of Paul. The faith that existed in Timothy had come through his mother and his grandmother. They were the ones that had passed it on. It seems that they were likely early followers of Jesus. That very early on, these two women decided that they wanted to be a part of following after Jesus. And they taught their son and their grandson what it meant in order to do this. And as we know, we've talked about it lots of times here, and we continue to notice it and recognize it. Women weren't highly thought of in that culture. They did not hold positions of respect or honor very often. And yet, as Paul speaks to Timothy's faith, as he gives tribute to his mother and his grandmother for being the ones that passed that down to him, there is zero criticism that is cast out. There's no shame that is given to them or to Timothy. There's no way in which it reads as if they, he should somehow be ashamed that this is the legacy of faith that came to him. His father is never criticized. We don't really know a whole lot about his father other than his father was Greek. But his father is never criticized. His mother, his grandmother are never ever spoken of as suitable replacements or somehow secondary options for passing faith on to him. This was not a plan B as Paul illustrated it. Paul believed they needed to be celebrated. The role that they had played mattered. Lois and Eunice were significant players in the history of the church because they had been significant players in Timothy's life and what Timothy would go on to do and to lead. And I believe that Paul wanted to elevate their significance beyond cultural expectations. And as he looked at the roots of Timothy's faith, he said that this was a reason. It's not, it's not even though this happened, fan into flames your spiritual faith. It, was, it came through them. Now fan into flames the faith that is in you. The faith that came from your mother and your grandmother, from Lois and Eunice. This is to be celebrated. And as he moves towards verse 8, he pushes Timothy's faith even further. And he says, so never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. He had nothing to be ashamed of because of this truth, because of this reality of who. This was not something to be ashamed of. So boldly share the gospel. Boldly share the truth that you know, the faith that you have that came through, yes, a spiritual father, Paul, who did some mentoring of Timothy, but most especially celebrate, boldly proclaim the faith that came from your mother and your grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Today, ladies, as we start talking about what it means to be, or or some, some ideas around family, we start with you, obviously because it's Mother's Day. We're going to probably finish the series on Father's Day. So the whole order of this thing is going to be really weird. Moms are going to come first. Dads are going to come last. We'll get there. I'm not leaving dads out at all. But I am starting with this on Mother's Day, partially because it's Mother's Day, but also because 
the role that you ladies play in passing on faith to your children is so incredibly significant. Your children, your grandchildren, spiritual children that surround you, the children that are in your neighborhood, the role that you play is so significant. And I believe that your value in the family needs to be elevated and celebrated. We're also doing this today and talking about this today because, ladies, I believe that you live under extreme pressure. I think there might be more being asked of you today than there has ever been in history. As you're being asked to raise kids and take care of husbands and take care of households and thrive in the workplace and be a leader in the workplace. You're expected to show up and meet all of these expectations that so many people have of you, that the culture has of you, that friends have of you, that other women have of you, that you have of yourself, and yes, that even the church has of you, of what it's going to look like when you show up. Sundays are stressful. For all of us, but for some of you, the reason is because you are wrestling with the expectations that you believe are placed upon you ladies in what it means for you to show up and for your kids to show up and for your family to show up in worship and what has to come with that. You live under extreme pressure. And the shame that's thrown upon you in both of these spaces, both in the secular world and in the church world, shame that is cast upon you when you don't live up to someone's expectations or someone's standard of what's supposed to happen. You're criticized for not doing everything as well as you could. All these things that you believe that you need to do better and others are telling you you need to do better. You're made to feel as if you could just do all of these things to the level in which you desire to do them, that maybe everything would be okay. As if somehow you have the time to put everything on hold and focus on just one of them and make sure you're an all-star there. And then pick up the next one and make sure that it can happen there. It's completely unrealistic and never happens. And it seems to me that as a result of that, many of you live with this overwhelming sense of mom guilt. And if you're not a mom of just guilt in general of being female and of all the things that you believe are being cast upon you, some of them you don't even want, but you feel like you're forced to stand up and meet these expectations. And I think that it puts many of you in a space in which you live afraid that you haven't done this or that or everything right. You find yourself doubting, questioning, Beating yourself up for what you could have or should have or would have done if you just had another chance or thought about it beforehand. Even those of you that don't have children are sometimes beating yourselves up for the ways in which you would be raising your children if you'd only had the children that you wish you had right now. And there's, there's all this kind of theorizing of what might or could or would happen. And today, it is my desire to speak some encouragement over you. Today it is my hope that if anything happens, that we can release you from some of the guilt that you're experiencing. That we can take some of the shame that you have wrestled with and we can throw it away and allow you to never ever pick it up again. 
part of what I want to do in communicating that is I want to read to you a blog post. And it's a little long, and I'm going to read you every word of it because I couldn't rewrite it or, or even steal it and make it sound this good. You know I didn't write this. So I want to read you some words from a blog post um, that as I read this week, I felt like were powerful. And they came from the understanding of what we see in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. The passage, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And here's what the blog post said. It said, mothers, even though you may feel you are, and the text will actually be on the screen, um, you are not condemned, I think. I think I gave him those slides. Yeah, you are not condemned by your messy home. You are not condemned by your lack of desire to homeschool. You are not condemned by your personal sins. You are not condemned by the difficulty of caring for a child with special needs. You are not condemned by the knowledge of how easy it is for you to love one child more than another. You are not condemned by your miscarriage or your multiple miscarriages. You are not condemned by your lack of desire to have more kids. You are not condemned because you have no desire to adopt. You are not condemned even though you feel it when you read of another's perfect parenting moment on Facebook. You are not condemned by your inability to cook. You are not condemned because your kids are not normal. You are not condemned because you are divorced or unmarried and doing it alone. You are not condemned by your desire to be alone, away from the kids for a time every single day. You are not condemned by your body, which is not what it once was. You are not condemned by your repeated failures as a mother. You are not condemned by your rebellious children. You are not condemned by the frustration of having to scrape mac and cheese off the kitchen floor. Again, you are not condemned by all the fears and tears which flirt with insanity and take you to the precipice of despair. You are not condemned by not being able to throw the birthday party of the year for your kids. You are not condemned for not feeding your kids homemade meals whose ingredients are recently purchased at Whole Foods. You are not condemned by your need for a vacation without kids. You are not condemned because you cannot take your kids on exciting vacations. You are not condemned for not living up to the standards of your mother or mother-in-law. You are not condemned by the stares of those who don't have kids when yours erupt into volcanic screams in public places. And the only thing I want to make sure that I add, you are not condemned if the opposite of any of these statements are true. Because there's not a problem if it is that you do desire to adopt as we do, or do homeschool as some of our families do, or do decide that Whole Foods is the place that you want to shop. This is not a list of things that says somehow you're wrong if you do the opposite. The reminder and the hope in that and the desire that I want to communicate to you is that you are not condemned because of struggles or successes that you may find in any of these areas. You are not condemned by Jesus Even if you feel that way from other people. They may heap shame on you when you do not meet their expectations. But you are not condemned. And I want to take these words and I want to stretch them just a bit further. Just a bit further into a challenge. As I want to say to you that you are not condemned. Instead you are 
deeply loved by Jesus. You are not condemned. Jesus sees you as precious. In Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, which we've quoted lots of times around here, she has this really great chapter on parenting. And in it, she talks about some of her concerns that, that many write these parenting books or believe in these parenting books that, that portray that there is only one appropriate parenting methodology by which you're supposed to raise your kids, and that's the only right one. If you don't do it that way, somehow you've messed up. She instead makes this statement, says the question isn't so much are you parenting the right way as it is are you the adult that you want your child to grow up to be? Now, let's be honest. None of us do this perfectly. We make tons of mistakes every day. And, and with that statement that she says, I'm not trying to heap more shame on you for feeling like perhaps you're not living like the adult that you want your kids to be. If you're like many of us, like me, wow, I hope my kids grow to be far better adults than I am. And yet her challenge and her encouragement is that we should set our sights most on living to be the adults that we hope that our kids will model being after us. Because the reality is, and the research shows, by and large, our kids grow up to look very similar to us. They grow up to live lives that look very much like our lives. Now, that doesn't always happen, but the research shows it with, with overwhelming norm that our kids grow to appreciate the things that we showed them they should appreciate. Our kids grow to live faith the way that we live faith. Our kids grow to love Jesus the ways in which we love Jesus because we model for them that that's the way it happens. Now, there's some research that says some different things can happen and some different paths can be taken. But more often than not, this is the norm. And what I think is true, that, that Brown, and I believe that Lois and that Eunice would speak to you this morning, is to focus on how you live over any preferred parenting methodology. And what I want you to hear this morning in that, moms and grandmas and spiritual mothers and spiritual grandmothers and all of the ladies of our church, and let's be honest, every single individual that is in this room, what I want you to hear that I believe is the most important area for us to focus on as we look to model faith well is this. You ready? Give yourself a break and strive to live Deeply loved by Jesus. You are not condemned. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You have no reason to be disappointed in yourself. Sure, you have room for improvement. We all do. That's not the point. I'm not even saying to live fake or pretend as if there aren't problems that are lying underneath the surface. We need to be honest and deal with those things. But my challenge to you is to live as if you are deeply loved by Jesus. And personally, I think it is actually even more beautiful that each of us is deeply flawed and still deeply loved by Jesus. So this morning, my encouragement to you, especially ladies, but all of you, is live beloved. Not as if you are beloved only if you can accomplish this or that or do this better or that better or some other aspect of your life better. You are beloved in stop. Imagine the way in which you love your own children. 
the wonderful dreams that you have for their life, the multitude of ways in which you sacrifice to make life better for them, the ways that you strive to keep them safe and healthy, the ways in which you're willing to invest anything to pour into their development and their well-being. And now remember that Jesus loves you even more deeply than you love your own children. Jesus loves you more fully and more boldly, more recklessly and more unconditionally. So today, my encouragement to you is to live as if you are loved by God as much as you want your children to live as if they are loved by you. And I truly believe that if each of us could make this small but significant transition in how we live our faith, that it would substantially change the faith that is lived out of our home. The faith that comes from us, the faith that comes from our spouse, the the faith that comes from our kids. I believe that it would change you and me and our kids and our spouses and every person that you come in contact with. If you and I are willing to live as if we are deeply loved by the Savior, I think it will actually change everything for better. Pray with me, would you? Oh, precious Lord Jesus, how do we thank you enough How do we thank you enough for the incredible ways in which you've loved us, in which you do love us, flaws and all? There are no words. There are no actions. There are no methods. There are no practices in which we could fully say thank you. All that I can imagine and all that I believe we could possibly try and do is to simply live in ways that we show we believe it is true. That you love us deeply. So God, give us the strength to do so in the days ahead. And if nothing else, give us the peace to walk out of this room in a few moments remembering that we are deeply loved by the creator of the world, by the savior of the universe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.